Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode here with Nana Ministry, specifically on our series, Truth Prescriptions. My name is Dr. Katie Elson. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, and joining me is my co-host, Chriselle Alassadan, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. And we are so excited to continue this series. We've already had, I believe, 15 episodes, if this is not the 15th episode. And so if you haven't watched the other episodes, we encourage you to take a listen, to take a view. Um, they've been great on behaviors and we're now on thoughts and more to come. So thank you for joining us. And as a reminder, we always have this disclaimer before we begin that the intent of the series is not to provide nor be a substitute for any professional advice, diagnosis, treatment, and so forth. Um, instead, it's really to provide a spiritual guidance uh, to use the Bible as a treatment manual for our mental health needs. And so please seek advice um, from a mental health professional or other qualified provider if you have any questions regarding a condition. Yes. And if you're currently in any crisis or you think that you may have an emergency, we encourage you to either call your doctor in 911 immediately, or if you have any suicidal thoughts, you can call 1-800-273-8255 and talk to a skilled, trained counselor and professional who can guide you. Wonderful. Now, today's topic is a continuation on several episodes we've done on thoughts. The mm -hmm. um, last episode specifically was on cognitive distortions, looking at specific individuals in the Bible who exhibited these distortions. You're not alone. We all have distortions. <laughs> Rizal, do you want to share a little bit about that episode before we review our truth prescription and application from last episode? Yes. And so really briefly, because we did do several different case studies within the Bible, but one that really you know, hit home for me, because I never saw it through this perspective, was just the history of the Israelites, the chosen people, and how they were wandering in the wilderness, and how they were engaging actively in cognitive distortions, and their perspective of God um, really interrupted their purpose, and how much time they were in the wilderness, because we know that history tells us that it could have been much less time but they were engaging all of this cognitive distortions that weren't allowing them to fulfill their purpose as God's chosen people. Yes. And we saw that there's two types, main types of distortions, how we view God and how we view ourselves. And so the truth prescription from last time was to reflect on these distortions, these lies that you've believed about God, yourself and others, and then start reflecting, how have those impacted my life? And that's really the basis of where we start. And then, of course, we can use the word as Jesus combated those distortions um, and to specifically find one biblical verse to memorize, to start changing and challenging those distortions. Crystal, do you have any particular verse that you like to go to or um, whether for yourself or for clients in regards to challenging a distortion? Well, I think... This is not necessarily one particular distortion, but in regards to just worrying and having your thoughts on things that you don't have any evidence to prove is at the moment a substance or something to be worried about. It's just therefore don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Mm. It's a little bit like fortune telling, right? So mm -hmm. addressing the distortion of fortune telling. Yes. Yeah. And one of the ones that I like in regards to distortions we have about God is 
every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, right? From the father of lights in whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. So we can use these verses as the sword, as the Bible talks about, it's the sword that we can fight our cognitive battles with. Wonderful. Well, before we jump in today's study um, and episode, we are going to have a word of prayer. Chriselle, do you mind, mind, do you mind praying for us? No, not at all. Let's bow our heads. Dear God in heaven, Lord, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to continue to transform ourselves, Lord, to be more like you. And so we do ask for the guidance of the Holy Spirit to be with us at this moment. Convict us, Lord, in ways that we need to change. Give us the courage to be able to confront these thoughts, Lord, to explore them and to change them, Lord, because we know that they can be changed. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. So if you remember, um, we had an episode on disguise of the lies, right? We saw how uh, many of these thoughts, these negative thoughts we have are disguised, that we think that they're truthful, and that's why we believe them and think them, but they're actually distorted, right? We're, we talked about there's truth, but when something's distorted, you take the truth and you tweak it or change it. Mm-hmm. So we recognize now that there's a disguise, And so today's episode is how do we unmask the lies? How do we start changing, revising, and making sure that our thoughts are more truthful? So we're actually going to talk about 10 ways that you can change your thinking. So we have 10 main distortions, but 10 ways that you can change your thinking. So Chriselle, let's jump right in. The first one, what's the first step in changing our thoughts? I think the first step is identify the distortion awareness is key to actually any change in life, because if you're not aware of what needs to change, how can you change it? I think that seems very obvious, right? And so identify the distortion. There are many different ways you can do this. You can just familiarize yourself with what are the distortions. And then I usually recommend all my patients know it by name, because that gives you a sense of control and confidence to change the distortion. Versus, oh, that kind of sounds like that one, uh, I, I forgot what it's called, but yeah, that, that sounds like a flavor of something that I need to change. Identify exactly what is the distortion. And you can. So as I was mentioning, the significance and importance of awareness, we need awareness to identify what needs to be changed. And so when it comes to number one, identify the distortion, I would say it's important to identify not just a flavor of what the distortion is, but the exact name of what that distortion is, because that gives you courage. It gives you confidence and awareness of what is that particular thought that needs to change. Now, you can also go about doing this by just doing some cognitive restructuring, but then other individuals say it helps them to remain accountable by actually having a thought record where they're able to have, how do I describe the thought record, Katie? I just think of columns <laughs> of different categories, for example, what was the trigger? What is the precise thought that you're having the automatic thought? How is it unhelpful? Do you have any any evidence to change that thought? And then what's the alternative thought? There are different variations of thought records, though. Yeah, so you're already kind of going into the second one. So before we start even challenging the thought, the first (laughs) step is just to just identify the distortion, but I'm just explaining what a thought record is. And so part of the thought record is identifying the distortion. Yes. And so one other tip that I give my clients is that if you're struggling with identifying your thought or your thoughts is use your emotions to guide you, 
your emotions are kind of like a flag to say, Hey, there's something going on here. And so I feel anxious. What are, what's my inner dialogue, my monologue, I should say, Mm -hmm. what am I telling myself in that moment? Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm feeling anxious. Oh, my thoughts are, Oh, I'm going to fail that test. Okay. So that identify that thought. And then that distortion is fortune telling you're predicting the future. So identify the thought and the distortion first. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now we'll go to number two, Griselle, examine (laughs) the evidence. So the way to start challenging is to examine the evidence and you could use, you could do that by using a thought record. In other words, it's like a thought diary. You're writing down your thoughts and writing it down helps slow down the process because often we have racing thoughts Mm -hmm. because you can only write as fast. You can only think as fast as you write. So write them down and then take a step back and start looking at them and say, what's the evidence that supports this thought? What's the evidence that doesn't support this thought? Mm -hmm. And and just in addition to all of that is identifying the distortion, examining the evidence and having that thought record in front of you helps for later on to be able to identify which we're going to talk about in another episode, which are core beliefs, because you start to begin to spot patterns of thoughts that you have. And you'll notice as you're doing all of this self-awareness work that you might have particular cognitive distortions that you really struggle with, whereas others is not as significant in your life. And so that thought record can really help you hone into that. The analogy I like to give for this is putting your thought on trial. I was just about to say that. (laughs) Yes, yes. I know you and I both like to use that strategy. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is you notice the key word there is evidence. Mm -hmm. This is not about putting what you think, right? Oh, because we're very biased. Oh, I definitely think I'm going to fail that test. No, no. What's the evidence? So for example, you might say in the class of chemistry, I have failed nine out of 10 classes evidence is showing it might there there's a higher probability that you might fail but if you say i've never failed an exam in my entire life then you might say oh that's a really distorted thought so looking at the evidence now if somebody comes to court and says i think so and so killed that person that doesn't stand as evidence it has to be factual so nine out of ten times or i had a i think i mentioned this before Um, somebody, I have clients that are highly anxious of going, getting into a car or plane or doing certain things. What's the probability? Am I overestimating the risk Mm -hmm. looking at the evidence? And here to say what others have said is not evidence. Yeah. I hear that often. So Crystal, number three, the double standard method. So it's interesting because I know I've been guilty of this. You know how sometimes individuals say, oh, you know, I'm so good at giving other people advice, but not myself. The way that we speak to others, if they were having a similar situation, such as ours that we're currently struggling with, is usually in a very compassionate, nice approach, right? But then when it comes to us, if we're having the same struggle, we're very harsh and condemning and judgmental upon ourselves. So the double standard method is acknowledging that Speak to yourself the way they, same way that you would speak to someone else um, in a more compassionate way. So I wouldn't go up to my friend and say, man, you're fat. You got to lose some weight, right? Katie's face even like that. 
we, we talk to ourselves that way. Maybe not all of us, but very harsh. Oh, you're ugly. Oh, you're fat. But we wouldn't say that to someone else. So then take the double standard method and ask yourself, how would I say this to my sister? Would I say it that harshly? And then turn it around and say it to yourself. Exactly. And so we're being fair here, right? Um, it's not one standard for one person, a standard for another. Um, it's kind of like, if you think about it, the golden rule. Mm-hmm. Treat others as you would want to be treated. Now, that one's kind of in reverse. Sometimes we treat ourselves better than other people. So the double standard method could apply either way. If you're harsh, more harsh to other people, say, how would you tell yourself that? Mm-hmm. So, for example, sometimes when I'm driving and I might get a little frustrated that someone cuts me off, I try to think about, are there times where I've cut someone off and I wasn't paying attention? Because you're harsh to someone else saying, oh, they're bad drivers. But no, you might say, there have been times I did that for different reasons. So being compassionate either way. Yeah, either way. All right. Number four, the experimental technique. Now this one's quite interesting. I remember the first time I reviewed this with um, individuals and I was like, oh, that <laughs> I would have never thought of that um, to kind of <laughs> prescribe to, to somebody. Um, the experimental technique is basically doing the experiment to test the validity of your negative thought. Um, So here it gives an example of if you have an episode of panic, you become terrified that you're going to die of a heart attack. Um, You could jog or run up and down a flight of stairs to prove that your heart is healthy and strong because you're saying, oh, no, my heart is I'm going to die. I'm going to have a heart attack. So test that by doing the experiment. Mm -hmm. Um, I've utilized the example of sometimes when we go through trauma. And there are moments where we may say, for example, if I experience a robbery at a department store and I say, now I'm never going to go to any store because it's going to happen to me again. We know that that thought is fortune telling. You don't have evidence to prove it's going to happen again. So experimental technique doesn't necessarily have to be one experiment. It could be a series and a process of little experiments that can gradually build up to exposing yourself to acknowledging that's not going to happen. So it could be parking in the parking lot of a department store, or if that's too much, stepping outside of your home. Stay there for five minutes, step back in. Did anything happen to you? Nothing has happened to you until eventually, gradually you build yourself into that department store and acknowledge nothing has happened to me. I am okay. Yeah. So essentially what this is, um, what this technique is, it's ERP, exposure response prevention, right? It's the exposing yourself and um, testing that Uh, and testing your thought and seeing whether or not it's reality. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay, Griselle, what's the next one? Thinking in shades of gray. So this one is really good when it comes to all or nothing thinking, because here we go again with all or nothing, there's an extreme, right? And so with thinking in shades of gray is recognizing in between this extreme, there is a shade of gray. And so if you're thinking to yourself, okay, um, Uh, my problem is either this or this thinking shades of gray is evaluating. What does that look like? The in-between. So you recognize that it's not that you have had a complete failure or there is complete success, but what does it actually look like to have progress in between? So I know that some patients of mine, they may show up to therapy with a 10 in terms of anxiety, so much Chrisel panic attacks and everything in between treatment. I may ask them, so how's it going? Oh, I still have anxiety 
uh, you started at a 10. Where are you at today? I'm at a four. Oh, okay. That's wonderful. That's amazing progress. No, because I want a zero. I said, well, I understand you want a zero, but you're completely discounting the positive, which is a cognitive distortion and not acknowledging that you've gone from a 10 to a four. Think it in shades of gray. Yeah. Even Crystal, I would further use that example if they said 10 to a nine, mm-hmm. because again, all or nothing is either 10 or something drastically lower that that shows that I'm better, but oh, I'm not making progress. The f- mm-hmm. 10 to a nine in all reality is progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And we can utilize this also in the direction of others as well. Sometimes we can be like, oh, they have to be this way or that way, but recognize that there's grace and there's an in-between as well. Yes. One of my clients put it this way. There's grace in the gray. Mm-hmm. I like that. And that also applies to your spiritual walk. Often we feel like we have to be perfect. Oh, I messed up again. I messed up again. Instead of just focusing on the failures what are the partial successes? What, like, for example, I had a client who, well, I don't pray as much anymore. I don't do this as much anymore. Now they have kids. And so those things are more difficult to do on a regular basis. And so it was, well, how has your relationship with God progressed and and strengthened over the years? Well, maybe you're not praying as much, but you're also singing more and you're um, talking with your children about God more and worshiping God in different ways. Now, that doesn't mean that we cannot continue to improve, but that's also not saying you're a complete failure. Mm-hmm. Well said. Very well said. All right. So that was number five. Mm-hmm. Number six, the survey method. I love this one. Chriselle, so what's the survey method and how does it help in changing our thoughts? Well, if you think about what a survey, right, is when you go out and you evaluate what others think about a particular subject or a particular thought that you may be having. So I really like the example it provides here. It says, if you believe that public speaking anxiety is abnormal and shameful, ask several friends if they've ever felt nervous before they gave a talk and you will realize that you have company (laughs) because a lot of us struggle with this right now. I will say a disclaimer though. I don't know if you give this disclaimer, Katie, but be careful who you utilize a survey method with. Okay. Because there are some individuals who will say, yeah, you know what? The future is really bad. Public speaking is the worst. Public speaking is the worst. No, you shouldn't do any public speaking. They actually add on to your cognitive distortions versus checking your cognitive distortion. Is there truth in this? There is not. And then changing that. So be careful who you utilize the survey method with. But it's very powerful because it really puts you back. Oh, wow. I'm way off with this thought. Yeah. So Chriselle, not just in checking with people um, who we we don't want to check with people who are overly negative and have distortions as well. We don't want to check with people who are overly positive because we won't believe them either. So go to people that you trust, that you trust that can be objective and truthful. You notice that all that we're talking about, these different methods are trying to find the truth, trying to find it in different ways, whether you do an experiment, whether you do a survey whether you try to evaluate how you speak to others in the same way that you speak to yourself, whether you look at things in gray, they're all trying to find the truth. Yes. And one thing that I would add is sometimes we're not necessarily asking people directly, but we're feeding our mind with different sources of truth. So if you're watching the news and they are adding on to your cognitive distortions, 
having a confirmation bias going on, then it's hard to change the way that you think. Are you utilizing the Bible to source your thoughts? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not just necessarily just people. It's who are you around? Whatever you behold, you become. Yes. And that's, we know, um, a biblical verse that we've brought up before. Another biblical verse that comes to mind as you're describing that, Chriselle, um, is Colossian, Colossians 3, 2. It says, set your mind, your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, right? What are you choosing to set your mind to? Are you listening and filling your mind with sources, negative sources? We don't want overly positive sources. If you analyze the content of the Bible, it's it's realistic. It has the flaws of people. It has the victories of people. It has um, the things that we would label as bad and the things that are good. It's very truthful. It's very realistic. Very true. Very true. Now, another example I like to give for the survey method, um, when I was in graduate school, I saw this a lot. And if you've been in school or um, maybe even at work, um, this can happen a lot, is when you take a test and you might have the thought, oh my gosh, I failed that. I bombed it. Then you leave and a group of your friends or your classmates come together and you start talking about, how was the test? Did you, did you get that one right? Did you get, you're using the survey method to calm your own anxiety. Oh, everyone said that that was hard. Right. It's not just me. If I say, Oh, I'm stupid. Oh no, no, no. They're saying that it was all hard for them too. Okay. I'm not stupid. So sometimes we naturally do this, but the older we get too, I think sometimes, and now being in a society that's very isolated, um, we need to do this before naturally living in communities. We would do the survey method without thinking about it. But now being so isolated as people, we need to reach out and check. Yes, very true. And hold each other accountable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Griselle, what's the next one? Define the terms. So this has a lot to do with labeling. Um, so essentially, when we label ourselves particular words and terms, such as loser, um, fool, stupid, dumb, ugly. I mean, I'm trying to think of, it could be honestly anything. Mm-hmm. Ask yourself, what is really truly the definition of that particular word? Mm-hmm. I even tell my patients, I know this sounds funny, but if you look up that word in the dictionary, is your name there? Mm-hmm. No, it's not there. And they laugh and I say, you know what I mean when I call myself stupid? <laughs> so yes, but you're so much more than that. And when you add these labels to yourself, you identify yourself within that label. And you take on the ownership of this label. And then all of a sudden you start doing this self-fulfilling prophecy. If I'm stupid, then I'll act stupid. What's the point of but trying? There's a diff- what's the point of trying? But there's a difference between what you do and who you are. And that's why I really like to define the terms because it distinguishes who you are from what you do. Yeah. And this is not just in regards to labeling um, you know, yourself or other people. If you use very strong words um, in your thoughts in general, um, oh, that was such a failure. Define failure in this circumstance. Mm, what we're, yeah. and let's say, oh, I bombed that test. Well, what does it mean to bomb a test? Okay, evidence-wise, you need a 60-something percent. Now, you might have, let, let's say, a 70% and you're saying, oh, I bombed it. 
evidence shows because you define the term, it doesn't match. Or the truthfulness of a thought might be you actually did not meet the requirements. And then that can motivate you to do better next time. So all we want is the truth. So if you use some sort of strong word, oh, it's just semantics. No, our brain holds on to the strength of these words. So define them, look at the requirements that is needed to meet that term, and then compare according to those requirements. Yes, Kay, as you were saying that, I was thinking about how sometimes we go and we say we magnify things or we minimize things. And by utilizing words such as, oh, they betrayed me. I hate that person. It's like, what does that really mean to hate? And that intensifies your emotion and that alienates you from people. And so define the terms. It's a pretty powerful tool to begin changing. Yes. And that actually goes along with, and I think we're already kind of going into number eight, which is called the semantic method. Simply substitute language yes, that's yes. less colorful. So you don't even have to define or look at the requirements, just start substituting um, with less colorful and emotionally, less emotionally loaded language. Um, so this can help with, for example, should statements. Crystal, how do we change should statements? Well, usually first I acknowledge that the should statement comes from some sort of expectation. So you're living your life based on what others are saying that you should do. Um, or what the world says you should do. So one way to change it is take a step back and say, is this really what I should do? Or do I want to do this? And all of a sudden, it's amazing how the moment you begin switching that, all of a sudden, you begin to realize you have choice. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to hold yourself prisoner (laughs) to a should statement. And you can actually start taking action now because there's a lot that has with human we're very funny human beings when we when people tell us you should do something it's like all of a sudden we don't want to do it anymore but if that should was never there oh yeah i'll do the dishes oh yeah i'll, I'll pick you up versus you should pick her up well i don't want to now that you say you should <laughs> exactly so what are the key words that we can use Crystal? um i want to i don't want to do this i also can to add on to the semantic method um some viewers may or may not struggle with this but Colorful language could also be curse words. And I say this because curse words, instead of saying and describing exactly how you feel about a particular situation, you utilize a shortcut through a curse word. So you're limiting your opportunity to connect with people. You're disrupting connection with people. And then you're limiting your ability to have self-growth and discover how you really feel, how you really think about a situation because you're using these shortcuts that are colorful and usually very misguiding. Yeah, because even sometimes not only can it mask, um, you know, like you said, it's a shortcut to not actually describing how you feel, um, but often it's more colorful. So it's kind of an exaggeration and magnification. Um, One thing I appreciate, I have a couple of clients who will stop themselves and correct. I'm so pissed. And then they correct themselves. I'm angry. Right. So changing the, the, these words, um, and with should statements, yes, I want to, or I don't want to. Another key one is I can, because should statements is a sense of obligation. I have to, I must, I should. There's no shoulds. There's no have tos. There are choices. And that's a very biblical um, principle that we have human choice. God is not forcing you. Others are not forcing you. I can. I can exercise. 
Do I want to? <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> That's another question. But I can, and it's good for me. And so therefore, I will. Yes. And Katie, just to add on a couple of more, um, this may be helpful for my patients. Sometimes when they say, oh, I don't know, or maybe, or probably, or I guess, are all ways of not committing to a particular thought or, or a particular emotion as well. And so I acknowledge, I not acknowledge, I ask my patients to begin changing that. So every time you say probably stop and ask yourself, is it really a probably? Or is it maybe because I'm not committing to a particular thought or emotion or behavior? Hmm. What we're trying to help our viewers with is to be more truthful with the language that we're using. Um, and so I, I appreciate that, Chrisella. And that's something we don't typically think about the semantic method, but that also applies. Now, in a practical sense, what I have my clients do is when they're doing a thought diary is when they write down their thought, I ask them to circle any strong word, any colorful word. And so a shortcut would be, I'm just going to change that. And even just changing that, maybe you can't change the whole thought yet will improve how you feel because a strong, colorful word will result in a more, a stronger emotion. Intensified emotion. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So that was the semantic method. Number nine, we're nearing the end here, Chrisal. Reattribution. What is reattribution and how that impacts our thoughts? So instead of like going to, I think this was number 10 in terms of cognitive distortions, personalization, blaming yourself entirely for a problem or maybe blaming someone else. So it depends on which direction, but it applies for both. You take a moment to reattribute the factors that contribute to something that's happening. So for example, if I'm blaming someone saying, oh, the marriage failed because because of my spouse. We'll take a moment and look at the factors. Do you play a part? Because it takes, takes two to tangle, as I said, <laughs> takes two to tangle. And in every situation, there are many factors that result in the outcome of something. And so this could help you stop feeling guilty, can help you stop feeling shame for a particular situation that is not entirely your fault. Can also help you bridge relationships because usually when we have this, it's all your fault, it's all his fault, we want to isolate ourselves and not have a relationship with these individuals. Basically, what it's saying is find the truth of where does responsibility actually lie? Lie, yep. So reattribute the blame and the responsibility. Now, the last one is cost benefit analysis. I like this one. It's when you list all the advantages and disadvantages of a feeling, a negative thought, or a behavior pattern. So this is kind of putting the whole triangle together of the thoughts, the behaviors, and the feelings, and thinking about the the advantages and disadvantages of those thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. So for example, what's the pros and cons of um, this anger in this moment and when I talk to my loved one? Um, sometimes the anger can have some pros of, you know, being able to express what are my needs, to assert my needs. But then there might be times where the cons outweigh the pros. I'm yelling, I'm hitting, I'm screaming, I'm throwing things. Um, or um, a negative thought. What's the pros to believing this thought? Um, if there's a thought, you know, no matter how hard I try, I always screw up. What's the benefit? What's the cost? 
Um, you can also use the cost benefit analysis to modify a self defeating thought uh, and belief, such as I always try to be perfect. I must always try. Is that true? Look at the pros, look at the cons, and determine whether or not I need to hold on to this thought or let go of this thought. Mm-hmm. Very well said. Now, as a summary, again, what we're essentially helping and equipping others to do is part of the truth prescriptions. Crystal, what is our main verse or I don't know if it's a motto or aim or what is, what is it, but what's the verse that we, we utilize in um, the, the series? My mind just blinked. <laughs> you shall know the truth. No. Oh, yes, yes. And the, and the truth shall set you free. Is we're trying to find the truth about our thoughts. And so these are just several strategies that you can use. And let's just kind of quickly go through them, Chriselle. First is identifying the actual thought and the actual distortion. What's next? Are we re- reviewing them again? Yes, the, the different steps. So step number one is identify the thought, identify the distortion. Number two, examine the evidence. Examine the evidence. Number three, the double standard method. Yeah, so talking to others as you would talk to yourself and vice versa. Number four, the experimental technique, creating experiments to validate or invalidate your thoughts. Exactly. Number five, thinking in shades of gray, recognizing that there's no partial success or complete failure. Number six, survey method, creating surveys, evaluating your thoughts, checking in with others. Number seven, define the terms. I don't know how to put that because that's very (laughs) self-explanatory. Number eight, Um, the semantic method, checking in with your vocabulary. Do you have language? Do you have emotionally loaded language and changing that? Yes. And then number nine, Reattribution, looking at the many factors that may have contributed to a particular behavior, thought, emotion, etc. Yes. Now, Chriselle, we number we 10. Go, and number 10. <laughs> Cost benefit analysis, evaluating the advantages versus the disadvantages. Yes. And so before we close, um, we have a couple more thoughts, but um, I wanted to bring to the screen what you were mentioning before so people can have an idea an idea of what we were mentioning before of the thought record. So here's a thought record and we call it the ABCDEs. And this is very, very critical to identifying the thought as we mentioned before, and then being able to dispute. You see there D stands for disputing. How can I start challenging? And as we mentioned before, we don't want a positive thought. What does it say there? We want a true and helpful, rational belief. Rational. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so A, as Chrisal mentioned before, is the trigger, the activating event. What started the, the negative thought? What, what started the, the motion? And then we see B are our thoughts there. That's where we would write. Um, so Chrisal, let's do a little pop quiz here. When somebody says, I can't do anything right, what distortion is that? Can't do anything right. That's mental filter. Well, partly if you're filtering out the things that you've done right, um, it's very all or nothing, right? And when we talked about the semantics, it's funny how it, they can kind of um, inter interact with each other. You might think you have one, and then it's a combination of one and another and another. That's yeah. interesting how that works. 
Yes. And so with the semantic method, you could already just circle that very um, strong word there, anything. And you're going to know it's all or nothing. So I can also think in shades of gray, right? Are there some things I do right? Are there some things I don't do right? So you can already bypass. It's kind of a shortcut. Um, if not, then you want to continue consequences as a result of believing that and thinking that how might I feel? How might I act and behave? And that's important because later on, when you change your thought, you notice that there's a more effective change in outcome as well. So instead of yelling or quitting my job, I can calm, calm, calmly talk to my boss and continue on with my job. So, Chriselle, how would one reframe the I can't do anything right? Well, you could acknowledge that there are things you have done right. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's not that you can't do anything right. You may have struggles with some things, but not all things. Yes. And, you know, I'm the type that I like to be balanced. So I might have on one side, yes, I've done many things right. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I would say, hmm, in this case, I did mess up. Struggles, yeah. Mm -hmm. Acknowledging the truth. And that will motivate you to make corrections. And so this is a thought diary that we can identify what are my thoughts, my emotions, my behaviors. And I can start correcting and disputing those thoughts to make sure that our thoughts are true. And sometimes they're true. Maybe we'll do this th thought record and realize, oh, that was true. But yeah, are they but are they helpful? Exactly. Chriselle, any additional comments on this thought record? Yes. And so where it says emotions and consequences and then effective change outcome and emotions, sometimes individuals say, well, I still have the same emotion there. Like I'm still fearful. Well, that, that's not necessarily a portrayal of something that changing. So if you want to see direct change, you could also put the intensity level of the emotion under consequences and then the change intensity level, because an emotion sometimes doesn't disappear altogether, but the intensity level does. So that is what that is some change. I mean, we don't want to go into have all or nothing approach. And so thinking shades of great, that is some change. <laughs> yes. Crystal, well, thank you for mentioning that. So zero to a hundred, I tell people rate your emotion. So initially all my anxiety was 90%. And then afterwards, like you mentioned, there still might be anxiety, but now it's 40%. And so the goal of changing our thoughts are not to eliminate emotions. It's to allow for emotions to be better manageable, right? At a, at a level that I can better manage and control uh, my emotions. So not elimination, but management. So, Chriselle, any last comments before we close with a biblical verse and an acronym that we want to share with our viewers? Yes, I just want to briefly summarize, as you were saying, Katie, throughout all the cognitive, uh, cognitive distortions, the methods to change the cognitive distortions is remember, the point of all of this is to evaluate where the truth lies. So when you're approaching your thoughts and you're wanting to change them, sometimes we think change as escape it or try to run from it. But the more you run for what causes anxiety, the more you run towards anxiety. It's kind of like this reverse psychology. So when you're having work? these thoughts, like if, if I'm struggling with things, I don't know how to, <laughs> do you have an example? Well, what I think about is like, for example, like, for OCD, um, the more that you tell yourself, oh, I can't touch that because if I touch it, I'm going to die. The more you avoid it is you're actually confirming the belief that I guess confirmation bias. Yes, exactly. Um, and yeah, exactly. So when it comes to changing your thoughts, embrace them, 
sit with them, explore them, find the truth, and then reject what's not true, but sit with what's truthful. And then ask yourself the other question, is it helpful for me to think this? Just because it's true doesn't mean it's helpful for me to think this. Yes. And I'll just um, add to that by, because I, I could imagine if someone were to tell me, sit with your thought and be like, no, it's negative, right? And especially we talked about, it comes from the father of all lies. To have a negative thought is not bad. Um, it's a temptation. It's what you do with the thought afterwards. So you have a negative thought and then you have a space afterwards. And that space is, do I let it to be true? Do I accept it as true? Or is that space used to dispute it or let it go? So yes. just because you have negative thoughts doesn't mean that it's, it's bad. And, and some people, when you may, maybe implement these things and you start getting better, you're going to say, why do I still have negative thoughts? It's okay. Everyone will have negative thoughts, but it's what you choose to do with them. And we hope that as a result of these methods, you're better equipped to challenge them and to change them. Yes. Don't ruminate on them. Don't ruminate. Um, mm. And then also just recognize a thought is a thought. It's not reality. A thought is a thought. Some people just benefit from saying, instead of I'm ugly, I'm having the thought that I'm ugly to put mm-hmm. space between you and the thought. Thought is not reality. It depends on what you do with it. Yes. All right. So, Chriselle, we wanted to, to end with a specific verse. Do you have that verse for us? Uh, it's 10, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, right? Yes. Okay. And it reads here, casting down arguments and every high theme that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So Crystal, what does that mean? And how does that apply to our episode today? So essentially I would just say anything that's not truthful, don't embrace it. (laughs) Uh, God is the truth, the way and the life. And so when we're acknowledging, when we're accepting something that's not truthful, it's going against what God wants us to behold and what God wants us to think. And so it says, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, thinking, you know, is this something that God would have me think of? Is this something that would honor God? Is this something that uplifts me? Is this something that will draw me closer to God? Or is this thought regarding that other person going to draw me further away from God? Mm -hmm. And any thought that draws you away from others it's also drawing you away from God because God wants us to have connection with other people. Yeah. You know, the context of this verse, um, and I think it starts in verse three, it, it talks about how though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh, meaning we're in a spiritual battle. And we already talked about that God being the God of all truth and Satan being the father of lies. And then it goes on to say that the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. It's not carnal but it's mighty on God. And so it's basically saying the tools that we have to fight off those, those lies. One of those tools is keeping every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The way that I visualize that is catch your thoughts and bring them to Christ. And so whether that's on a thought record, catching them, or just start making every thought a prayer, God, I'm thinking that I'm such a failure in this moment. Is that true? Is that not true? Spirit of truth, guide me. But if you don't keep it captive, then what happens is the thought comes in, the temptation to believe a lie from the enemy, and we just accept it as true. We need Jesus as the truth, the way and the life to be able to address 
and to challenge and to fight the enemy and his, his lies. Now we have an acronym for everyone. And so maybe Chriselle, you and I can alternate between this acronym, but this is hopefully, I, I, I hope that you can use it and use it as a guide in the moment um, to ask yourself and to challenge those thoughts. The first one, so it's thoughts, T standing for, is it true? Is this thought true? H, Chriselle. Um, does it honor God? Is it honorable? Yeah. O stands for, what is its origin? the father of lies? Is it myself? Sometimes Satan doesn't even have to whisper anymore. I've just adopted that thought for myself. What is its origin? You. Is it uplifting? Yes. And that one's similar to H, which we'll come to in a little bit. G, does it involve guilt? Is this coming from guilt? Mm -hmm. H. Is it helpful, which we've already mentioned? Mm So both, is it uplifting and is it helpful? T, is it a temptation? Right? Kind of also related to what's the origin? Is this a temptation from the enemy? And then Chris Paul, S. Does it strengthen you? Because God only wants us to think of things that will help us, encourage us, because he only wants what's best for us. And so if it doesn't strengthen you, then we know where the origin is from, right? And one that's not on here that I think is also important to ask yourself is, is it in my control? Mm. So these are some questions that you can start asking yourself and know that practice makes perfect. We have thousands and thousands of thoughts every day. They're really hard um, to start getting in the habit of changing them. So asking asking God to guide you to be able to identify the thoughts in the first place and then to start implementing these these principles and these methods to start challenging your thoughts. Yes. And just to mention one other thing that will connect us to a further a next episode, not particularly the right next one after this, but in the future is sometimes individuals may have acknowledgement of what cognitive distortions are. They have these methods. They are actively trying to change them, but at the same time, at the end of the day, they still feel that they don't have that ability to change them. And they wonder why, why is it that even though I tell myself I'm not fat, I'm changing, I'm using the semantic method, I'm changing, defining terms. I still can't seem to sit with the truth and believe it. How will we address that in the future, Katie? Well, we'll talk about core beliefs, things that are even um, deeper than just these thoughts itself. But I'll also say this, um, it's a lot of work to keep every thought captive is a lot of work. So I have people who, oh, it's not working because they catch one thought, the next day, another thought. It is a lot of work, but you don't have to do that work alone. Ask God for his guidance, but you have to be diligent in catching every negative thought and changing them. And although we have many, many not negative thoughts, they say, I think it's like 80% of them are repeated. So if you change them once, you're, it becomes easier over time if you're consistent. So keep up the good work, right? Keep up um, the faithful work and God will help you in the renewing of your mind. A principle, the Bible says, you will keep him in perfect peace. How? What's the secret, Griselle? To keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, on God. 
day by day, moment by moment, you can't expect to have good thoughts if one time you surrender to God or one time you keep every thought captive. No, it's every thought. Keep every single thought captive to Christ. It's hard, guilty, but more that we surrender daily and moment by moment. Priscilla, why don't we have a word of prayer and then we will have our truth prescription to close. Okay. Dear God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for being the source of truth in which we can turn to to evaluate our thoughts, to gather strength and courage to change them, Lord, and to have the faith to know that when we feel as though we can't do it in you, we can, Lord. Mm -hmm. Help us to turn to you as a source of truth, of strength, of courage, and perseverance, because it is hard, as, as Kitty was mentioning, Lord, but help us to have faith in you. And trust, Lord, that you want what's best for us and you know what's best for us, Lord. So I pray for every individual who's watching at this moment, Lord, bring to their awareness the thoughts that need to change, Lord, the thoughts that they want to change, not that they shouldn't, that they want to change, Lord, because they want to be a better reflection, Lord, of your image to the world, Lord. Thank you for all that you do for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Remind me of the verse that he who started a good work in you will complete it. He both starts it and completes it for us. And so, Chrisal, our truth prescription, here we go. Yes. And so now that we've gone over these methods, now it's just a matter of utilizing them. Utilize the strategies, the methods that we discussed today to begin catching, as Katie was saying, like those bubbles, catch them, check them, and then change your thoughts. Is it helpful? Is it honorable? utilize the acronym thoughts to check with your thoughts. Yes. And what we'll do is we'll post that for you on our Instagram. So you can follow us on Instagram to have that acronym. If you already forgot, or you can rewind and replay, um, follow us on Instagram and then also subscribe on YouTube so that you can get reminders of the episodes and to share with a friend. So many people are in need of changing their thoughts so that they can feel better and to live a life of abundancy. Mm -hmm. So meanwhile, don't forget to take your daily dosage of the truth. Because you shall know the truth. The truth shall set you free. Yes, we'll see you in two weeks, everyone. Bye-bye, everyone. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.